Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. I'm pretty thrilled to get to talk with Representative Rua Roman from Georgia House District 97. Thanks for the time. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. Uh, for those who don't know Rua's story, Rua, you're a, you're a bit of a pioneer, like a canary in the coal mine of sorts. Uh, she is a Palestinian-American politician, born in Jordan, moved to the United States at the age of seven. You are the first Muslim-American to serve in the Georgia General Assembly, right? I'm the first woman in the Georgia State House. We now have, uh, I came in with uh, three other Muslim colleagues. All right. Who would have thought after the anti-Muslim fervor after 9-11 that we would live to see a day where not just Muslim American, but multiple Muslim Americans are serving in our state legislature here in the state of Georgia? I, th- I think it's pretty profound. It's awesome. And I think it goes to show that a lot of that anti-Muslim fervor, unfortunately, was literally funded um, and very well funded and fake. Um, And at the end of the day, our communities know us and they're electing us into office because they know that we care about this world that we live in and this country that we live in and the state that we live in. It's funny. I live in a condo building in Old Fourth Ward and I have Israeli and Muslim neighbors who all get along with one another and we all get along with them. It's, It's just sort of a microcosm. It's funny, like when we're tasked with being neighborly to one another, how easy that can actually be. That's our nature. Right. Absolutely. And I think it really goes to show that at the end of the day, we all face the same challenges. Some of us might have unique layers to those challenges. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you know, the reason our platform resonates with people is because everybody wants good education for their kids and access to health care and, you know, their ability to vote and an ability to to grow and, you know, live a healthy life. So on that note, let's dive right in. Governor Brian Kemp gave his state of the state address earlier this week. and. It, it seems as if, just just me trying to be the pragmatist here, it seems as if there are some overtures a little bit towards meeting in the middle, but only like 15% of the way when it comes to education and healthcare access. Uh, can you speak to your response to the governor's speech early this week? Absolutely. I mean, it is no surprise that there is a focus on education. This is something that Democrats have been pushing for for literally a decade. I mean, it's been the cornerstone of literally every democratic campaign for as long as I can remember. The first campaign I ever worked on was Jason Carter's um, and Michelle Nunn's. And I remember the most important pillar of that campaign was a focus on education because defunding education is very bad for our state. And unfortunately, what we're experiencing is the culmination of that decades-long disinvestment. And now our students are struggling, our teachers are struggling, our schools are struggling it's still more than 50% of our budget. But when you end up constantly divesting from the foundation of what makes a good education, unfortunately, it leads us to where we are now. And the governor needs to address it. And that's that's sort of what we saw during the state of the state. Uh, define what you mean by divesting of, of funding. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of that, right? First and foremost, and the thing that I remember the most, because it happened right as I was going into college. So I was at the tail end of it was, they tapered off the HOPE program. So it used to be that if you went to a public school in Georgia, you received essentially full tuition. You had to meet like some GPA requirements and stuff, but it wasn't anything too crazy. Um, And even though I went to Oglethorpe, which is a private university, it actually helped close a little bit of that sort of financial gap that I had in my financial aid package. Mm 
um, for a lot of students that meant the difference between being able to afford their books and not being able to afford their books, um, being able to afford food and not being able to afford food. And so we saw a lot of students that had to delay their education, drop out of their education. Um, we had students that were faced with education bills they didn't expect. Um, and, you know, this was during the recession. So there was a lot of um, sort of austerity measures taken to help stabilize the budget. But at the end of the day, when we talk about disinvestment, that's just one example. Mm -hmm. Additionally, teachers, although there's a lot of, you know, patting on the back of raising teacher pay and working to raise teacher pay, teacher pay was frozen for a long time. There's right. a reason they're leaving the profession, right? We, we always talk about how this is the biggest raise for teachers in history, thanks to the governor. But in reality, it's because they've been so far behind for so long that we don't have a choice but to raise pay, raise pay for staff on a state level as well. I mean, it's across the board. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and as with anything else, when you live in a major city like Atlanta, I mean, I can go to the gas station two blocks from where I live and I'm going to pay the ITP tax, which is essentially that gas mm -hmm. is more expensive in Atlanta than it is mm -hmm. outside Atlanta. And I think this, the mm -hmm. same can apply for teachers. There are expenses that come from being a, a teacher inside uh, the city of Atlanta that you can't compare a salary for someone who works for APS with the salary for someone who works in Noonan, Georgia, for example. Correct. Correct. And we even saw a little bit of that when the governor was talking about housing, affordable housing for workers, like emergency responders and teachers. And I was like, that's phenomenal, but how are we going to implement that? Mm -hmm. And what are we doing to stop, for example, corporations from buying up valuable homes that people need that's artificially reducing the supply in the market while these homes sit empty so that the investor can turn around and sell it when the time is right and make a massive profit. Oh, Rua, you are speaking my language. I'm a real estate agent as well. That's how I pay the bills. This is the side, this is the side hustle. So yeah, I mean, trust me when I tell you that for, for about 18 months or so, I yep. was working with folks who just, you know, were just finally able to qualify, got their credit score yep. right and had down payment or were working with down payment assistance, which by the way, down payment assistance is wonderful, but mm -hmm. it's also it also gums up the process and a lot of sellers, Correct. you know, uh, they bristle at the thought, especially when you have an all cash yep. eye buyer coming in to, to snap up a home yep. like that. Yep. And for the record, so my husband and I moved back. So I went to DC for grad school. Mm -hmm. We were there for about two, three years, but he and I both grew up here. And when we moved back, our original plan was to rent for a little while to figure out, okay, like, because this was COVID, we're the oldest, we want to be near family. Right. And we were like, let's just rent and kind of see how it goes. And like you said, he happened to call one of the realtor that he had worked with before we moved. He had like a little condo off um, Roswell Road that's literally now two, three times what it used to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, worth and and there's no renovations on it by the way we we checked it was insane um, <laughs> yeah. and she said look if you're even thinking about potentially buying in the next year do it right now she's like the worst that can happen is you can sell it later but you need to get in the market right now and is the best piece of advice and the only reason we got our house is because the agent on behalf of we don't even know if it was a company or just like a really aggressive buyer or what spooked the other people away but it was like it was like you said like a cash offer really crazy out of the blue um kind of thing so yeah i i get i get well you guys were lucky you you guys were lucky oh, be, yeah. because the institutionals again were and, and in atlanta i want to say that it was close to 10 percent of the homes purchased uh mm -hmm. in in the year 2022 versus like na nationally it was like one and a half three percent in atlanta it was close to 10 percent Yep. Well, now we know about 30% of home purchases in the past, I think it was like three years, mm -hmm. are through some sort of LLC. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and and I well, I could speak to that, but you know, we're we're gonna bore people with uh, real estate <laughs> I know, talk. So sorry. You know, no, no, it's okay. I, I trust me. I could, I could carry a conversation, but uh, trust me, I see the eyes glaze over at lunch. So uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna do this on the show. So um, all right. So we we talked a, a little bit about the uh, the educational disparity, uh, and and I like that you cleared that up. You know, for a long time, the funding was actually dried up. So it, it's nice to get the attaboys, but you're really just kind of starting to make up for for lost time. Um. Uh, and we've talked a little bit about housing. What are some other issues that the governor raised that you feel like were half measures or going the wrong direction? So he mentioned um, expanding access to health care, and he kind of made a dig about how, you know, doing what the Democrats want to do is going to kick like 200,000 people off of private health insurance. Thank you for speaking and to that. In, I mean, in general, overall, my question is this. If people honest to God believe that private health insurance is better than a public option, and you also believe in the free market, why don't you just let those options compete and say, see where where, where the cards land? Mm-hmm. And the thing is, that's clearly not the case, right? We talk about how for the first time ever, there are counties that have more than two options for healthcare insur- and health insurance. But on the flip side of that, how much are those premiums, right? Why did those counties not have access to, to health insurance before? And do we actually have choice when it comes to healthcare and health insurance? Or is it the illusion of choice and that these companies are starting to merge in a way that is creating new monopolies that are hard to get around? And so, you know, again, truly appreciate the fact that there are, people are finally starting to listen to a lot of these things that we've sort of been talking about for so long but at the same time, it's like, why why are we presenting solutions from 10 years ago when we already know they don't work? That, and, and I, I'm reminded of this meme that I saw. It was a graphic uh, during the height of the Medicare for All debate, I guess back in 2016, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where it just seems like we wanted to create this ornate plumbing problem to just create a direct mm-hmm. pipe. Um, I don't know if you ever, I, I'm trying to, to uh, illustrate it, but, but, <laughs> but even Senator Jason Estevez tweeted this uh, on the 25th. He said, unfortunate fact for the cost of the proposed Georgia Pathways to Coverage program, we can literally cover every uninsured Georgian by fully expanding Medicaid with the help of federal funds. Correct. Frustrating, right? (laughs) Infuriating. Absolutely. And I, you know, a lot of people have been asking me how I'm doing and I'm not new to politics. I've just never been the candidate. And honestly, this wasn't really the space that I saw myself. I always saw myself as like helping build up staff and infrastructure and whatever, but I've I've seen it for a long time that what people don't understand is so much of this is preventable. And unfortunately, the people that have the time and energy and resources to be down at the Capitol pushing for this stuff are not the people who are going to be the most impacted by it at the end of the day. We are on with Representative Rua Roman, Representative House District uh, 97. Uh, speaking of, you know, folks who have the time to do this, uh, we talked with uh, Dr. Michelle Au a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. about that fact that the average American, the average Georgian can't run for office and mm-hmm. that there is a lack of representation for the working class as a result. Can you speak to that as well? Absolutely. I um, So had I not been working for the company that I did and I was working from home with that kind of flexibility um, and that kind of income, there was absolutely no way that I could have afforded to run for office. You know, like I said, my husband and I our young family, we're new homeowners. We just moved back. I just finished grad school. He just finished law school. We've got student loans. I mean, the only reason we were able to do this is because we have kept such a tight financial budget in our household. Um, but if you look around the chamber, a lot of the folks there are people that have um, are either independently wealthy, retired, some mixture of the two. 
you know, larger, larger, like they're small and larger business owners, but for the most part, it's like people who have the support. And to be honest with you, you know, my husband's great. Like not everybody has a partner. Not everybody has a spouse. Not everybody has that family structure to support them. Mm. Not everybody, for example, has health insurance through their work right. and running for office. You don't get paid to do that. It doesn't pay the bills. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's the unfortunate reality of it is that it, it, the structure itself is hard. And by the way, in terms of pay, I think we get paid like 17 grand a year yeah maybe, it's it's pretty piddly give or take. <laughs> so yeah it's just like you know truly i mean obviously it helps right like and every little bit helps in every little way but it's just not something that you can you know afford to pay rent mm -hmm. and health and food you know yeah well i mean if you were adding to your income like if you had a base salary or you were retired or, or partner at a law firm or something like that and 17 additional thousand were coming to you income wise i mean that's great but if it's if it's you're taking three months out of work or quitting your job. Yeah. It's not going to make ends meet. Yep. Exactly. It's going to be very hard for, for again, just, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, an office manager at a dental clinic or uh, obviously a school teacher can't do it because it conflicts with the school calendar. Um, but it, you know, it's also 2023. We can do a lot of this stuff virtually. So is, is there any progress on that? Um, I think I'm like a little bit more old fashioned on this, but I do think to some extent that, having to build those relationships to answer these hard questions does require some in-person, mm -hmm. let's meet, let's talk, let's get to know each other, let's build trust. I think that's incredibly crucial. But to your point, are there some things we can do to make it a little bit easier? For example, doing um, caucus meetings virtually, and that is happening, by the way, at least the caucuses that I'm a part of, mm -hmm. the majority of them have provided a virtual option. They have provided a hybrid option. That way, those who are dropping kids off or coming from a job or needing to get to a job or whatever the case may be can still get the information they need to get, but you know, they can also deal with whatever life stuff is going on. Fair enough. We're on with freshman House Representative Rua Roman representing District 97. More with her after this. More Ron Show on America One Radio after this.